We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jake Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we go. go. Hello, Bumpies and everybody listening. We do not have Jade in the intro this week because she is off gallivanting in Fiji. Not jealous at all. I'm going to keep things very short and sweet because I feel awkward, exposed, naked and alone while she is away. But first of all, I want to say a huge thank you for all the love that poured in and the amount of people that resonated with our episode last week, which was with Claire from Safe Hands Parenting. She is a maternal child health nurse and we chatted all about the four-month dip and the eight-month drop. And as much as we hate to think that there's lots and lots and lots of women and mothers and parents out there going through the same thing, it is always so nice to hear that you're not alone and you're not kind of imagining these things. And I guess this week we kind of follow on a similar theme because there is some overlaps with mental health in this episode. But before we get into what we're going to be talking about today, our Fiji correspondent, Jade Caldwell, has sent in a voice memo to make us all feel extremely, extremely jealous. So let's have a listen to what she's been up to. Bula bula, Sophie. And oh my gosh, are you on a water slide? How are you this week? Or how am I this week? I have currently just come off a banana boat, and when I say come off, I pull on off. Yeah. you got to share the chocolate milkshake. I'm sorry. Oh, great. She's still being heckled. We Good. have had seven days of absolute bliss, cocktails. Yes, Billy. Kids clearly still annoying <laughs> as ever, um, but they do have kids club, so that has been fun. It's just been an absolute dream. I can't, can't complain. Won't complain. We'll never complain. Yeah, you I'll will. complain next week when I'm home. Yeah, you but will. all in all, it's been a family trip of a lifetime and I'm going to have FOMO going back home tomorrow. Sorry, I'm sitting next to some sort of makeshift waterfall, so it sounds a little bit... <laughs> if anyone needs to wee, sorry. So we'll just pop that in there. And I'd just like to say I love this episode. It was so insightful. I had no idea the extent of symptoms and understanding what ADHD is like for women, uh, especially in adults. Also understanding the difference between that and being diagnosed at a younger age. The whole episode and conversation was mind-blowing. So I'm very, very thankful to have had Jane on to listen to and I hope you guys all enjoy. 
to be honest, the background of that voice note was the opposite of relaxing, but I'm sure she's having a great time and cannot wait to have her back so we can debrief and next week we'll do a full debrief on the past two weeks. But yeah, getting into today's episode, we spoke with Jane McFadden and she runs the podcast ADHD Mums. She is a mama with ADHD, but has only recently been diagnosed. I guess with the increase and awareness in ADHD, especially in women and in mothers, we wanted to get Jane on to just have a chat about like what's going on, why all of a sudden are there all these diagnoses, why is it so misunderstood and what does ADHD look like in girls, women, mums, if it isn't that stereotypical ADHD that we think of. I found this episode so incredibly informative. I do want to say this is obviously Jane's experience, personal experience. She's not coming on to speak as a professional, even though she used to work as a psychologist. But yeah, it was, I don't know, have a listen. You'll hear, I guess, the dynamics of it. The roller coaster of the episode was also quite interesting for Jade as she thought about these symptoms and how they relate to her. And yeah, I just feel like even though I personally am not someone that relates in the way that I don't question whether I have ADHD, I found it so insightful in being compassionate to those around me who do or may have children with ADHD or maybe questioning, uh, you know, symptoms themselves about what they might have. And I just learned so much from this chat. So we hope you love it. We'll be back next week with a normal intro as chaotic and rogue as ever. But in the meantime, buckle up and have a listen to what Jane had to say with us. Hello, Jane, and welcome to Beyond the Bump today. For those of our listeners who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Excellent. Well, I'm on the Sunshine Coast. I'm a mum of three. I have I had three kids under three and a half, which was insane. Holy oh, crap. God. Girls or boys? I have got one beautiful mini-me daughter, and I wanted to have more girls, and I have got two more boys. So I um, have had a ongoing... I wouldn't say mental health battle, but I've always struggled mentally and I've always felt like there was something a little bit wrong with me or I wasn't quite fitting in. And I was only diagnosed with ADHD at 35. I've just turned 37. So for me, that was a huge thing that happened, which I didn't believe. And I thought was so not right when I was told that. So I've now, I've worked in psychology for 18 years. I have practiced as a psychologist, but I don't currently practice anymore, probably because of my ADHD. I'm not patient enough. And so I run this podcast, ADHD Mums, to spread the word about what ADHD looks like in females. I don't monetize it. There's no business opportunity. I literally do it because I feel for women out there who have just been like me, who have not realized that there's a massive struggle going on within. And I've had such a great result with medication. I just feel the need to share that because I would have loved to know earlier. And so I suppose that's what Mm. I'm really here to discuss is about what ADHD looks like in women. And if we can get the word out about what that is, and some women hear, hear me talk and think, wow, that's me. And they go and get diagnosed and that's a win for me. And I think strategies as well, whether a mum has ADHD or not, whether it's diagnosed or not, I feel like maybe some of the strategies you have in place to do motherhood probably are helpful for everyone because I think whether you have ADHD or not, motherhood is, is busy and overwhelming and I imagine sometimes 
uh, symptoms of quote unquote normal motherhood probably overlap with what it feels like to have ADHD? Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think it also extends out to our kids. So if you look at it, a classroom, you know, everyone's talking about inclusion. Of course, I'm about inclusion. But I also think to myself, well, should it matter if a child's diagnosed or not? What if they're having a bad day? What if they're just really overwhelmed? What if there's something happening at home that they're upset about? Why can't we slow down a little bit, be a bit more gentle and maybe teach in different ways? If a kid needs a break, they don't need a diagnosis to be able to go outside for a walk. That's just my mm. personal point of view. And it, you're 100% right exactly with motherhood. Uh do you have ADHD? Are you having an awful day? Regardless, the stress might be the same where you're juggling lots of things and you're just feeling completely overwhelmed. Diagnosis or not, there's definitely ways to to handle yourself better, I think. Well, I feel triggered because <laughs> everyone nervous. everyone that or a majority of our listeners have either written in or made a hint that they have diagnosed me with ADHD and um, I'm yet to be actually diagnosed with ADHD. Possibly, possibly I do. I'm not sure, but it's interesting and it's going to be interesting to listen to what you have to say and see how we feel at the end of this because maybe I will have to go back to my psychologist and say, hey, I think I have ADHD. I did have a bit of a laugh, Jade, at Sophie's comment when she said, oh, except for Jade, Jade doesn't really mind, you know, like what she says, she doesn't think about it afterwards. And I was like, oh, that's a very ADHD trait, but I wasn't game to mention it. Yeah, no. To not think about it or to overthink about it. Well, to not think about it. It can be either because if you're a very impulsive, I'm a very bad interrupter. It's very difficult for me to hold, especially when, you know, you've got a hyperactive brain. You think you know what the person's going to say. So you find yourself interrupting a lot. So if he's got ADHD too then. <laughs> <laughs> but there's that impulsivity, which is a very ADHD trait. So, you know, you might go and tell a story about something about one of your kids or possibly it's a bit private. And then afterwards you might think, possibly I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, that's me. That is me. But I get to edit my stuff out. But I, I usually, we leave most of it in. But yeah, some things I'm like, eat. Every now and then she's like, yeah, do I think my daughter would be happy listening to that back again? <laughs> now take us back to the start. What was your childhood like? Like I imagine you've always had ADHD, but you haven't always had a diagnosis. So what was it like being a little girl in the world? And I imagine not being particularly well understood. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting interesting because my daughter is a mini me. My brother said to me that he, when he speaks to her, it's like going back in time 30 years. So it's incredibly triggering because I feel like I get to parent myself, which actually is really confronting when you look at your child behaving the exact same ways you did yeah. and you're thinking, I can actually really impact this. And then you like really overthink it. So I was a very, I was a very talented child at a lot of different things. So I was very smart and very good at sport. And I had, I was fairly popular, I'd say, and I had kind of a, a great childhood and I was always a bit much. I was always very bossy. Mm. I was always very chatterboxy. I think sometimes when you have ADHD, the inattention that you might have can be overridden at times by intelligence. I'm not a genius by any means, but I think I'd have above average intelligence. So if they're going back over concepts at school, I might only need to listen to it once or twice. And if they're going over it six times, I'm looking out the window, the other four, it doesn't really matter. So yeah. I think for me, I and also I was very conscientious. My parents put a lot of pressure on me and I'm very much a perfectionist. So, and I think society's pressure as well for girls 
you know, to behave, to be good at school, really put a lot of pressure on me to probably, I would say, be like a duck above water. So, you know, the legs are going really hard underneath, but above you're looking okay. My dad definitely had ADHD undiagnosed. And one of my brothers was diagnosed with ADHD and he was medicated. At the same time that he was medicated, I was not, which is interesting because he presented the stereotypical boy, extremely inattentive, didn't do any any his homework and he was picked up over and over and over again at school. And my parents ended up medicating him, which significantly helped. And he ended up getting an apprenticeship and he really honestly did quite well with the medication. I was on the other hand, trying harder and harder and harder to keep up. I thought I was okay in primary school, although very much the overachiever. With ADHD impulsivity, I joined every club possible. When I hit high school, I joined every club possible. Not only that, with my drive to succeed and perfectionism, I also then wanted to be the captain of every team and be the leader in everything because I was so bossy. So for me, I couldn't stand an ADHD trait. You do struggle to be told what to do. You do think that you know better. And my brain is so hyperactive. Often I did feel like I was faster in my brain. I was almost bored. But that then leads this thing where you want more and more. And I think as mothers, this sometimes happens where you get in this cycle of, I'm feeling a bit bored today. And then you create all these tasks and then you have to do them all. But also with ADHD, you get burned out a lot quicker. So you're in this cycle. And by the time I hit 14, I was in an absolute mental breakdown. And me at 37, having had three kids, both of my parents have sadly passed away. I've roller coasted everywhere. By far, that period between 14 to 16 was the hardest I would ever have gone through. And I think it was just complete burnout at such a young age. When I speak to ADHD women now, a lot of them will talk about 14 as an age where it all collapses. And I think it's that more and more and more when you hit high school, there's also a lot of society pressure and a lot of gossiping, a lot of girl dynamics. Girls with ADHD sometimes struggle to cope with that. And I definitely Mm. did. And also as well, impulsivity. Sometimes you might, someone might tell you a secret you accidentally tell someone else because you can't physically hold it in for them to that then come out. And then you're so highly anxious about the result of that. It's this cycle. And I remember my mum saying, just don't say things, just don't, but yeah. you, you physically can't hold it. So for me, I hit a, a huge burnout, huge depression, anxiety, and my parents were beautiful and they took me everywhere that you, that you could think to go. I went to the GP, child psychiatrist, psychologist, and I got absolutely therapied the shit out of me, which I love and appreciate my parents for. However, back then, some very well-meaning professionals, I think, probably really made the situation worse, where I was given a lot of medication for depression and anxiety. My parents were told it was severe. They told the school who told everybody it was not great. And, um, you know, after about two years, I remember thinking, what's wrong with me? I'm not getting better. I'm feeling worse and worse and worse. And I started to feel really suicidal, which my parents couldn't understand because they were looking at me thinking, why, why? I don't understand it. I didn't know either. And eventually I weaned myself off the medication myself because I just didn't think it was working. And I ended up changing schools and starting again, you know, with a fresh group of, of people and social media wasn't what it is back, back then. So you could restart. Um, quite easily. So that was a really great experience for me. And I came out and I went through year 11 and 12 and thought I really want to impact the world more positively. I can't understand what I went through. No one could help me. And I don't want that for 
for basically, you know, the world. So it sounds really cliche, but I decided to study psychology then. And I came out, I nearly got a perfect score in my HSC, got into psychology at uni and really haven't looked back in that as my passion. I, I think for me, it is really upsetting when I look back and I think my brother was taking the right medication that I now take, let me tell you. So 30 yeah, years, yeah. isn't that hard, you know, that he was being given the right medication, the right tools, and he came good pretty quick versus me who have had this huge battle for so long. During your teen years, did you kind of ever get yourself into dangerous situations due to that impulsivity? I've heard a lot that having undiagnosed ADHD can lead you down a path of, I guess, like drinking or drug use because you're just trying to like find something that helps? Oh, mate, let me tell you, risk-taking personality, I, I am it. I was always fun to party with, but yeah. I took a lot of risks. I think looking back, I've been very lucky that a lot of the decisions I've made could really have impacted somebody. Yeah. You know, you hear of people that that drink drive and they hit another car. I've been very fortunate. A lot of the terrible decisions that I have made haven't impacted me, but yes, absolutely. Underage drinking, impulsivity, like I'm just going to down half a bottle of vodka, you know, because Mm. you're just so excited. I think situations in relationships can be really difficult, jumping into things, not reading the cues and mixing alcohol, drugs in there, not good. Mixing as well, driving in there, not good. I move states every six months for years changed jobs every six months for years. And what was like generally the catalyst for that? Boredom. Or different every time? Boredom, yeah. Boredom. So, um, you know, I've got a very hyperactive brain, but physically I'm not super hyperactive. So for me, you know, changing career paths constantly, someone would say, oh, do you want to come work for me in Brisbane? Oh, yeah, okay. I just pack up my share house, get my shit in my car and, and drive. And be like, hang on a second, weren't you doing this before? People with ADHD generally live pretty pretty crazy lives. And for me, I look back on a lot of the experiences as massively positive. I moved overseas at the drop of the hat. I remember arriving in Bali. I had $400 I'd spent on the ticket. I arrived there, realized I only had $20 and thought, wow, I need to really make some money. I wonder how I will get accommodation and fly home. And that sounds crazy. But then when you look back, you think, God, that was a ride. And how, what an incredible life I've lived at the same time. There's never been mm. any stone unturned. So catch 22. There's not just one, like, so I was going to say style or type of ADHD in women. There's actually a few, isn't there? Yeah, correct. So the main ones would be inattentive, which girls present mainly with. And that is the one that's harder to diagnose, which I think leads to the myth diagnosis or underdiagnosed. And so we're saying at the moment that six to 7% of the population has ADHD in Australia. And that's one in 20. Why is this coming up now? Like why? I feel like in the past two years, every second person has been diagnosed, like females, especially Mm. with ADHD. It is literally just nonstop conversations. I agree. I think if you look at, if you've been diagnosing, let's say, for example, um, one in 20 males or boys, if you've been doing that for the last 20, 30 years and you haven't been diagnosing nearly any women, then it's not surprising that when they hit 
30. And look, for me, I think that there's a real layering with ADHD with females. I, and this is where I think it gets tricky because yeah. it, it's like, okay, you're at school, you might be coping okay, depending on your environment. There's what we call scaffolding, which is what we give our children. So, you know, you know that they'll forget their hats, so you pop it in their bag for them. But at some mm. point they move out of home and they don't just have to remember their hat, they've got to remember their keys, their cars, they've got mortgages, they're married, they've got kids, so now they're responsible for other humans, right? And it's this layering and layering and layering of stress and we haven't been diagnosing any females in like 30, 40 years. So then suddenly there's all these women who are turning up to the psychologist, completely overwhelmed, burnt out, stressed, suffering anxiety symptoms. In my mind would be the strongest misdiagnosis is I think anxiety. Also depression though, because you just get such so beaten down, your self-esteem is so rock bottom because of the amount of negative feedback that you see. You know, you look at social media and everyone else seems to be coping and you're just there drowning because you can't put the washing in the washing machine. It's actually the simplest of tasks. My husband, he's so beautiful. He calls me the dumbest genius I've ever met (laughs) (laughs) because he's like, you are fucking awesome at some things. And he goes, and then sometimes I look at you and think, how did you get through life? Yeah. Because it's the simple things that get me, you know, like cooking rice, putting on a timer, hopeless. And you hear time and time again nowadays, actually, it's not until mothers are taking their children along seeking a diagnosis that all of a sudden they go, wait, that's how I always felt as a child or that's how I feel now. And I feel like now that there's more awareness about what ADHD looks like in girls, it's probably a lot of the time mothers taking their girls and then going, oh, wait, is is, is is it not the same as what we've always spoken about it being like in boys? Can we go back to the traits in females so we can understand what they are? Yeah, sorry, I got off track. I do do that. So, so there's inattention. We all did, don't no, worry. We all went all different ways. It's all right. Jade took me down the path. So there's <laughs> inattention. It was my fault. It was Jade's fault. So there was in it, there's inattention, which is the hardest to diagnose. There's hyperactive, which is the typical boys moving around disruptive. I'm going to hit someone because I'm bored. They can't sit on the mat. However, girls, we are hyperactive in our brain. It's a different thing. Yeah. And, then there's, and then there's combined. So you've got a bit of both. So they've actually worked out with a giant gender bias that they went out to teachers. They did a study and they showed the same symptoms and they took the names off. And then they put the names back on and they found the teachers were only saying that they would contact a parent about the ones that had boy names. There was such a heavy gender bias. So... That I think is at play as well. But basically, I suppose those would be the three presentation types. And as I think you get through life, when the stress layers and layers and layers, they become more and more and more pronounced. Mm. Mm -hmm. So if you take a little girl, for example, and a little boy, and you give them both the same homework piece, let's say the little girl goes, okay, I know it's due Thursday, forgets, inattentive, right? Wednesday night, seven o'clock, mum, mum there's a project due, mum, I need to get it done. And the mum's like, what? This is so annoying. But at the same time, the little girl's in such anxiety, she's probably crying. The mum helps the, the daughter to do the project. The daughter takes in the project the next morning, doesn't say all the shit that's gone down to get it there. Yeah. Right? But the mum sees it hard. The teacher doesn't. You take the boy, the, and I'm just talking typical, right? I'm not talking yeah. everybody. You take the boy, the boy goes, oh, yeah, I'm just going to play PlayStation Wednesday night. Yeah, I think it might be due. It crosses their mind. The pressure isn't there. They turn up without it. The teacher then will contact 
like the parent if that happens enough times, but it doesn't happen the same way. So often I don't even think it's that the mum takes the daughter to the doctor. I think it's the mum takes the son to the doctor because the teachers have picked it up and then the mum starts looking at herself maybe diagnoses herself and then starts to lens on the daughter. The problem there, and I don't want to get on a rant, is that sometimes the teacher is not aware of what ADHD in girls looks like and neither is the GP. So sometimes the mother is repeatedly told, I think they're okay, they seem fine at school, or when you go to the psychiatrist or the pediatrician perhaps, the teacher's form that you have to get comes up okay. And then there's this whole thing around, well, what are you doing as a parent? Why is your child such a mess at home? When I tell her to do things, she does them. And then there's this really confusing time for mums, which I think can be really difficult because you're relying on on health professionals to tell you, but because this information is so new, sometimes it's not always there. And also, I think if we look at generations above us, I find that a lot of people don't believe in these things. They don't believe that ADHD is a actual, you know. It's too much sugar or it's too much screen time or whatever. I think there's some truth in some of that because I do think the levels of stress that we're under, the amount of shit that we've got on, and I think the pressure that our kids are under at school with how much of a curriculum now that we teach compared to when we were young, I think that does play a role. I think the expectations on on us as humans is higher, on us as mothers is higher, and our kids is higher. So then that makes the gap even harder and even bigger. But, you know, ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder. And if you have ADHD and you take ADHD medication, let me tell you, that's when you fucking know. So there's a lot of mums out there that will grab a hold of their son's or their daughter's medication. Not that I would ever say that you should do this, but I've heard of friends who have thought they were taking something, accidentally taking their kid's medication and then gone, oh, everything seems different. Why is it so quiet? My brain slowed down. I feel so calm. I'm having such a great day. And that's when the light flicks. And I think for that, if you've had that happen for you, you cannot be told it's not a real thing. That is 100% Mm. not true. And what is that medication doing? Basically, it's stimulant medication. So in my, in a very simple terms, there's two different types of stimulants that are generally prescribed. One is like a Ritalin version. So there's a short-acting Ritalin and a long-acting Ritalin. And then there's the dexamphetamine, which is a short-acting, and then there's a long-acting. There's a couple of others that are sometimes given. If you, let's say, you've got a heart condition, you can't take them. But stimulants in an ADHD brain actually really work differently, and they slow the brain down. If you've someone that you've taken an illegal substance at a party, which you shouldn't do, and maybe you've had an opposite to reaction to what you think you should have had, so everyone else is partying and you're like, lay down there in a book or you've got your list out and you start doing your passport application, <laughs> that there might show you that there's something going on. So if I take a dexamphetamine and, you know, I when I took one for the first time, I was blown away. I looked around the room and thought, is this what everybody else feels like? It was quiet. It was so calm. And I just sat at my computer. I didn't need music. I didn't get up. And I just did all of my tasks the anxiety, the stress. And then my husband came home and he goes, do you want to have lunch? And instead of me panting and like, I've got all this stuff to do. You don't understand how stressed I am. Do you even know what mums have to deal with? I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I was like, yeah, that'd be really nice. Thanks. And then he actually gave me a hug and I actually allowed him because I wasn't so stressed out and overloaded. And I thought I am actually a different person. I am so much more compassionate. 
I'm so much slower with my children. I explain to them what's going to happen. I can sit down and play Uno with them. Whereas before I felt like I never had time. It was a constant anxiety mess. I feel like the fact that it has amphetamine, dexamphetamine in the name, there's so much stigma that it's like, oh, everyone's out there just giving their kids speed so mm. that they'll sit there and be quiet. Like, like, what do you think about the medication? Because I know that there's a lot of parents out there and I'm sure not even parents, people who are taking it for themselves who feel that judgment and feel that stigma or they're going to give it to their child and it's going to change their whole personality and it's like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, compliant and obedient now but they're not the same person they were before. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, no one, no parent, I don't think, wakes up in the morning and thinks, I can't wait to medicate my kid to shut them up. That is yeah. 100% what not happens. If that was the attitude, we'd just be giving our kids alcohol, letting them smoke some, <laughs> some you know, that, that that's what we would do. You don't wait to get prescribed with something to then knock them out. How ridiculous. Yeah. If you don't know a lot about ADHD, I reckon it's great to actually chat to somebody or I suppose listen to this podcast because you get a different take on it. If you have a child that's struggling in school, like for example, you know, you get the disruptive boys and often they have a lack of impulse control. And this is, I'm just talking generally. So, you know, they're the kids that they can't sit on the mat because they want to walk around. They impulsively, you know, put their hand up, constantly tell long stories and they do get a bit handsy with others when, you know, they want shit to happen. My middle son is an antagonist. What an antagonist is, it's very much what it sounds, is he likes to stir the fucking pot all the time. And he's doing it for dopamine. He's got ADHD, all three of my kids do. So he stirs the pot. He wants some shit to happen. He gets bored, he'll walk past, he'll turn the TV off. He gets bored at school, he'll pinch someone. He wants to see what will happen. Like, what will happen if I push mum far enough? Will she explode today? I don't know. So if you look at the impulsivity in a lot of kids, they are still who they are, but it allows them to focus on what's important. I'm a very impulsive person. What I'll do is I'll get on realestate.com and I'll attempt to buy a property. We don't have a lot of money. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm a rich lady buying property. It's like, I will attempt to tie myself in a knot, do a tax return early to try and free up some money because I'm kind of bored and I want some shit to happen. Or I want to distract myself from my other real problems. So I'll go and create a bigger problem that I enjoy dealing with that's a bit more exciting. And how much of that is a conscious decision? It's only been conscious since I've been taking medication. I didn't take medication one day and I took my son to the park, my four-year-old, because I thought, I don't need to take medication if I'm not working. What did I do? I called my husband from the park and I said to him, I've seen a property. I must buy it. I've called the agent. I've called our broker. It's urgent. It feels like the world will end if you don't buy it. And he's going to me, you didn't, this is, this is, you're, you're not getting it. You are back. You know, no, but ADHD medication only lasts that day. So if you don't take it, you're then on a clean slate the next day. So it's not, doesn't take three months to build up you're very much operating in the moment. So I suppose to take a step back into our kids, if you've experienced ADHD and you've taken medication yourself, I feel it's a disservice not to give them the opportunity. However, in saying that, I'm always about trying the lifestyle first. I don't medicate any of my children yet. Not that I'm not open to it. I am. But at the moment, we are doing swimming before school. We're changing the diet. We are trying to do as much scaffolding as we can. I suppose I don't want to peak too early when I've got nothing left. You know, I really want to try and see what we can do supplement-wise as well first. But I've seen some incredible results with medicating children. 
And it, it also helps with rejections sensitivity dysphoria, which is RSD, which is very much more in the ADHD female trait. So if you're looking around and you're seeing people rejecting you, like for example, let's say you send a message, you don't get a reply, or if you're a child, you don't get invited to the birthday party. Sometimes within the ADHD brain, that's what you focus on. And RSD can be really, really difficult. What I would say with my daughter is next year, medication-wise, it wouldn't necessarily be around school. And it's not about shutting her up and settling her down. It's more about settling her brain down so she can focus. Mm. So she isn't consumed by some of these society pressures around who's looking at her, who isn't. And a lot of the anxiety that goes with girls, I don't think many girls, my personal opinion, necessarily need um, need ADHD medication because they're so far behind at school. They're often really conscientious, but the anxiety and the burnout in their little system trying so bloody hard is the part that I would be interested in medicating a child for. But I don't think I've never seen in any of the kids I've seen with ADHD, any massive personality changes. It just, I suppose, allows them to focus on what's important. And also they get more positive feedback because they're getting the teacher's praise. They're completing things. They're getting a better report card. And also if you settle down a child's impulsivity and some of their hyperactivity, often they make more friends. They're not the kid that thinks it's hilarious to to kick the soccer ball on the neighbor's roof to see what will happen. Mm. My boys do that. They struggle because they're disruptive and they want shit to happen. You know, like, for example, we went out to Darwin and it was the crocodiles, some saltwater crocodiles. My four-year-old picked up rocks and started throwing at the crocodiles to see if they'd move. So I'm married to someone who has ADHD and he has never been medicated and his mum has told stories of him climbing out of his cot, climbing over the fence and going to the beach. He would just do whatever he wanted because he could. And if you fast forward to how he is today in an adult, he is that one person that if you're sitting at a table, he's constantly tapping his leg. Like it's this consistent leg tap and it drives me insane, but he's also a list guy. So he cannot function without a list every single day. And that has to be ticked off because that is the anxiety that it kind of keeps him calm, but in a way it's not, but it's the way that he deals with his ADHD. And he doesn't focus on that and he doesn't talk about it. He has been diagnosed with it, but he thinks he manages well. I disagree. I think that, you know, it's, I watch him and I find that really hard to watch because it's exhausting. I can see him every day tapping his leg, moving this constantly, overanalyzing. And it is, it's a really exhausting feeling. For me, I feel like I am a basket of tricks. I don't think we have really gotten to a point of working out what is going on in my brain. I mean, a lot of what you said in terms of the childhood where everyone, you you saw a psychologist and everyone just thought that you had anxiety, so we'd give you a medication for that. I was a class clown in my high school years where I would flash a light from my watch and put it on my teacher's private parts and everyone would laugh. My attention span wasn't there. I daydream a lot. I'm 
incredibly creative. Like my brain does not stop 24 seven. And then when you were mentioning that you have these constant layers of becoming a mother and all these other things that just keep on piling up, it does go into burnout. And I don't know where you get to a point of truly knowing yourself and understanding when you take matters into your own hands, because I've been tossing up medication. I'm on this, one of the strongest anti-anxiety depressant medications and it doesn't work. I need to actually taper off it, but because it's such a big drug, I get brain zaps if I miss it for six hours. It's it's really, really hard. It's sad that I feel like I've gotten to that point and had to take this medication to see if it actually will help me. And it hasn't. And now I've got to go back the other way, but I don't have the time in my life right now to be able to do that because I have three kids relying on me and I have a job that I'm passionate about. And then from there, I've been put on a mood stabilizer for whatever reason that may be, because I get so depressed and burnt out that I do have really harsh, deep thoughts. And I get so exhausted that I'm sick and tired of having them. Right now, for years, nothing is working. It's just, there's this really confusing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if someone's missing something. Just because you have been told that you have ADHD does not make you any less of a person. And I think the people who think, oh, you've got a label or you're depressed or you're anxious or you've got bipolar, everyone gets frightened by these labels. If we stop thinking about how scary the labels are. Look at the people like Celeste Barber has ADHD. She's one of the most fabulous, funniest, creative people we know. Most of those creative people like Jim Carrey has bloody bipolar or he's got something else. Really funny, happy people. Like, I don't know. I just, there is so much more to all these names and all these people with these conditions are usually quite exhausted on the other side that people don't see. And that's my TED talk. Goodbye. <laughs> Look, I I absolutely love, love what you said. There's there's so much in there. What, I can't um, remember. <laughs> what I, 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 you do remind me when you were talking about how low you are. You do remind me of myself right before I got diagnosed. I had seen this psychologist for years. And I just fought with her every time I was there because I couldn't do any of the fucking therapies that she told me to do. They didn't, she didn't realize that ADHD ended up going to see someone else. And he specialized in female ADHD. He had a wife with ADHD. He had daughters with ADHD. He said to me, I think you have ADHD. I laughed in his face and said, you're fucking cooked. Like I was like, no, (laughs) I I just fought him. Well, no, he's actually a very smart man. I still see him. He's phenomenal. So Anyway, we went through we went through the the screener, and it's interesting you bring that up because there's a new a new thing called highly camouflaged subtype of ADHD, and what it is, I think, it's code for high powered kick ass women, because what it is is basically is that you mask it, you cover it up, you you scaffold, and that's what we do for our children. Mm. So when you go through the prompting, he go, do you know where you need to be next Tuesday? Because he's checking working memory, and I'm like, of course I do. And I'd have 17 reminders. I'd have all these (laughs) scaffolds, right? And people would think that I was there always on time, always organized together. I'm very successful in my career. People would not think anything, right? But when he actually pulled it back and said, okay, so forget your calendar, that's gone. Your phone's dead. 
you're, you're, you can't ring your husband. We're just operating on pure brain power. And every time I said, no, I don't do that. He would go to me, well, you've told me this. And this is the part that upsets me a little bit because I think the DSM, which is the criteria needs to change because often the questions and the words don't actually hit for a lot of the women because of course I know where I'm going to be next Tuesday. I've got three phones right in front of me and two calendar systems that beep. Of course I know. But if you took all that away, what would I know? Nothing. So I think you really need to find the right psychologist. You really need to find, and I always recommend if you're on going to get on Google and you want to try and have a look, I always recommend Googling neuroaffirming clinical psychologist to get a real handle on yourself. Often that you find with the neuroaffirming clinical psychs, they actually have ASD or ADHD themselves. They are all about camouflaging mm. ADHD, camouflaging ASD. They will go through your life from start to finish and explain to you how your brain works. That there is really, really, really interesting. And if you're somebody who's battled for a long time, that's something to do. I think um, as well, your battle with medication is something that does upset me a lot because I've been there when I was younger. I also have friends who are waiting to get diagnosed with ADHD. They're on some very heavy medication. One of them in particular is a cosmetic injector. So obviously she can't deal with the shakes. So what is she going to do? Take two months off work? She's kind of trapped. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of us women who've been asking for help, not necessarily getting the right diagnosis, even though people are really well-meaning, we're left on some heavy, and I've been on mood stabilizers. You can put on weight. You've got a lot of physical effects as well. And that can be a real struggle Whereas the ADHD medication, you're only t- it's like a Panadol. I know that's not the right thing to say, but I call it an ADHD Panadol. It only lasts four hours, the short acting. If you take the long acting, it's eight. So, you know, you can try it one day and see if it works for you. But obviously you would want to ask a health professional. You would want to mm. not be taking anything else. But I think that there is what I'm trying to change in our girls. So if you didn't have ADHD and you took that medication, what would happen? It doesn't work. And this is where I get upset because I feel like my life was nearly ruined by heavy amounts of the wrong medication, the wrong therapy. And I was left as a 14 year old girl with a message of there's something wrong with me. I'm crazy. And then I'm in my mid twenties going, I can't cope. I'm not okay. Something's wrong with me. And I'd go back and I'd get the same message. Here's some medication. And I'd be there going, it doesn't work. And that's what upsets me. What's your thoughts around it, you know, with us having this awareness of how kind of common this is nowadays in men, in women, in boys, in girls, should society slash schooling change rather than I'm just being devil's advocate here. I'm not against medicating people. But, like, instead of it being, like, oh, you know, 6 to 10% of kids in school should be on this medication for this, is it not just that school is wrong for them? Oh, you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. That is 100% what I, I think the world needs to change. So if they're saying now, the research is showing, this hasn't been proven, this is just what people are starting to talk about, is that if you lump in postnatal depression, trauma, PTSD, depression, anxiety, if you lump in all of the mood disorders across everything, you are looking at 50% of the Australian population. So mm. now we are not catering to, to just a few, we're catering to 50%. 
what I believe and what I'd love to see and what I'd love to be changed for is I'd love the schools to change. In my personal opinion, I'm not a teacher. I think it's too much pressure. I, I don't believe in it. If there was a good alternative school near me that it was a good option, I would take it. I'm open to homeschooling my kids later on. I would like to delay that as long as possible if needed. I don't believe the pressure that we put on them is necessary. I don't believe the pressure we put on ourselves and each other is okay. And I think that's part of the problem because the more pressure you're putting on everybody with any background, no matter how neurotypical or neurodiverse your brain is, that's the problem. And I agree with you. I think proper inclusion is not about being diagnosed and being medicated and having a special plan Mm. for you. What about the kids that aren't diagnosed? What about the kids that are neurotypical, but their parents are, are getting divorced? How can we make the world more friendly? How can we be more inclusive for everybody? Because it's not about my three kids and me getting what they need. It's about the whole class. Mm. And that's where I think we need to see change in movement. And that's why I like to talk about it because it's not just about the few diagnosed. It's about everybody and how everybody learns and copes. Do you think if you were, you know, you were saying that your your son's quite disruptive, he's not on medication now, but you, you think it's potentially in his future. Do you think that if you pulled him out to homeschool, that would still be necessary for him to learn? Like, do you think his life is still, even if we could mould the world around him to be more accepting and better for him, do you think there's still that place for medication and he would still thrive more on medication? My personal opinion and I'm not saying this, I'm, I'm pro-medication, yeah, yeah. Would, would be no. In, in, my, in my dream world, this is just Jane's dream world, right? This is never going to yeah. fucking happen. But yeah. in, in we my can mind, all dream a little bit. Let's, 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 <laughs> let's go, go there. I want to go to Jane's dream world. I reckon it'd be pretty interesting world, right? there. <laughs> I, I reckon I reckon relieve some of the fucking pressure because I wouldn't be under so much stress. And my husband calls it my eyes flitting around before I was medicated. He's like, you'd walk into a room, everyone can feel the stress. I'd be deep in, deeply breathing, right? My eyes would be flickering <laughs> around and I'd be like, I don't even know where to start because I'm panicked. Yeah. I'm feel full panicked. So if you take away a lot of those jobs and we lived more simply, I probably wouldn't be so stressed out, right? I wouldn't have, yeah. so di- have so much difficulty having lunch with my husband or doing the simple things. If you look at our kids and all the extracurriculars, kids with ADHD require a lot of stimulation. They want to do a lot, right? They physically want to move and they mentally want to move. To homeschool a child with ADHD, I think would be pretty difficult. We've, we yeah. traveled around Australia for a year in a caravan before I was diagnosed and our kids were diagnosed. Can you imagine? Wow. It was absolute yeah. mayhem. We did homeschool Shit. that year. It was madness. So I think if you set up schooling different where there was less expectations to sit down, more more walking around, more bush therapy, more learning how to count with sticks, those for my boys definitely works better, more animals, that kind of thing, they are, they are there and they're actually quite quick learners. People with ADHD are not slow learners necessarily. They're actually very quick but they can't be bothered a lot of the time and getting their interest is hard. My son needs to gamify everything. When we do sight words, we have to play snap and, you know, physically hurt each other and heckle each other at the same time. We can't <laughs> yeah. just play snap. You know, we need to talk about who's going to get each other and I'm coming for you and, you know, that's the stuff they want to do. So you need to kind of hone the learning in a different way. 
I think that would probably reduce a lot of the medication because you put them in, in, you know, a pretty intense schooling environment. We have expectations from a teacher, let's say, that likes to teach in a traditional format that kids will sit, they will listen, they will do worksheets. Mm. You put an ADHD boy in there and then you wonder why they are refusing to go to school and they're hitting people. Yeah. I think that's the recipe for disaster. That makes a lot of sense because if you're not nurturing people, you know, like we're all not the same and especially if someone, you know, thinks differently and acts differently, they can't sit still And this in is a obviously chair. not against teachers. No, like no, no. There's one it's teacher the whole, looking after however many kids. But, yeah. And that's how it's been. But at the girls' school, they actually have all these different seats, which I think is incredible, and it's for people that are, agitated. So if they're people that don't like to sit still, they've got wobbly chairs so they can actually sit there and do this. So it's it's kind of like when you have those little flick stress ball things. Fidgets, yeah. Fidgets. But they've got all different types of chairs to accommodate them. And I thought that was like at least one thing that was a really great thing for them to have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I think that needs to happen. I think that can happen. But I also think as well, it shouldn't just be kids that are diagnosed. I agree with you. I think everyone should have the opportunity to sit on the chair if they're having a bad day or a good day. Yeah. Take, mm. Taking kids out for a walk that are only the diagnosed kids, I think is a bit rough. How about we just change it? So who knows who is who? Everyone's just who they are. And everyone has an opportunity to go for a walk, sit on the chair, do whatever they they, they need to do. I personally think that the curriculum is pretty intense. Again, I'm not Mm. a teacher, but you know, my children aren't going to be necessary geniuses. They're probably not going to be doctors. So for me, I think my kids are going to be the ones that are going to create an app. They're going to do something Mm. different. They're probably going to own a business. So a lot of the time with a lot of the stuff there, I'm like, yeah, but like, what about creativity? What about, what about teaching them to take a risk? And what about their self-esteem? Because if they're getting a lot of negative feedback because they're placed in a, in a box, mm-hmm. you know, they're placed in a square box and they're actually around. And then what about the negative feedback that they're then getting that, that reduces their confidence and their self-esteem? So for me, I think if the world was different, I think that we wouldn't need to medicate as much, but there's so much going on, you know, that I think makes it really difficult. And the layers and layers of stress on us, neurotypical, neurodiverse and on our kids I think is part of the problem. Absolutely. And so you you have three kids, you run a business, you are busy and I can imagine the mental load that's in your head, you know, the lists that are in your head. What do you do? And I think anyone can learn from this, you know, mm. diagnosis or no diagnosis. What are things that help you get through the day to day? And rather than just I imagine sometimes it feels like you're surviving it and then other times I'm sure it feels like you're thriving. Oh, absolutely. I think the pressure on women, you know, for working, having a a, a relationship, having kids and, you know, even the Seesaw app pinging constantly, your work phone calling, someone's homesick and you're trying to be the best mum that you can be. The pressure on us as women is intense. And I think we probably beat ourselves up a lot. I think for me, one of the strategies I'm trying to implement, I don't do this well or all the time would be to be more compassionate. You know, my uh, best friend who's the massive follower of your podcast, she knows who legend. she is, legend. Elise, you are a legend. She messaged yeah, me this Elise. morning, Elise, and she said to me, I feel like I am going to fucking lose my shit. I feel like I need to take some sick days from work. I don't know what to do. What do you think? And I wrote back and put, of course you should. 
you under so much pressure. And I noticed that I was the first one to back her mm. intensely. I'll ring you later. Do it. You should do it. You deserve this. You're under so much pressure. I, I don't know how you're doing it. But then for me, I don't give myself that same break. Mm, and, you know, it's that age old thing about what would you tell your best friend? We've all heard it. But really, what are we actually doing to be more compassionate and giving ourselves a bit more, a bit more space? It's really hard to actually do that when you haven't done it for your whole life because when you do check in and someone does ask you that question or you sit there with yourself and go, would you say that to your friend? Would you speak that badly to your friend the way you're speaking to yourself? And you kind of get horrified at how, like I'm really freaking hard on myself. And when I think about that, like would I say that to my sister-in-law? Fuck no. But today I woke up and I was like, I said to my sister-in-law, guess what? And she's like, what? And I'm like, I'm awake and no one in the house is. I don't know what to do. And she goes, go outside and have a coffee and look around because she knows that's what I would do for mindfulness. And I was like, thank you for reminding me not to unstack the dishwasher, but go and do that because that's what I needed to do. But do you know what I did? I unstack the fucking dishwasher. (laughs) Well, you know what I write on my hand sometimes? This, This sounds terrible. I write this on my arm in big letters and it has what would my husband do in the acronym? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's me on the couch. That's what I do. So that's I, great. Best, it's so good. So when he goes out, let's say he goes somewhere, I know that when I go out somewhere, he doesn't do shit, right? Like, wow, you're blowing kids. my mind right now. Yes. He will look after the kids. He'll keep everyone alive and I respect and love him for that. But will he do anything else? No, he waits for me to come back and then he might get up and think, oh, yeah, I probably should unstack the dishwasher or do something. I've noticed that. He was babysitting, babe. Yeah, he's babysitting. He's single focused. So now when he leaves, I write on my hand that acronym, what would my husband do? And I sit down and I read my book, I get a cup of tea and I ignore the chaos. Oh, I love this. when I know he's coming back, I've got him tracked on my phone, right? He can never listen to this. I get up and I start (laughs) doing things. And then he's like, oh, right. And then he starts helping me. And I said to him at the end of every weekend, around 12 or 1 o'clock on Sundays, every week now, I say, no, no one's getting anything else until we family clean up. Because yeah, I said I to him, I'm not, I'm not doing the clean up all day. Nah. So I think if we start to channel our husbands, because they take the break when they can, that's what they do. It's true. Because they it know they won't get one later. So let's take the break like they do. And that's what I've been doing lately. And I reckon it works. I'm going to say that it does work because I did what would your husband do the other day. And what my husband usually does is get up after me, right? And I've probably already done the kitchen and he'll just come out and don't get me wrong. He does a lot during the day. He takes the kids to school, blah, 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 blah. But he isn't the first to get up. So two times last week, I was like, what would happen if I just stayed in bed? Like if I just sat and read my book because I was obsessed with my book, he just got up and then he handed me a coffee in bed and then he did all the jobs that I usually do and I'm like, all I had to do is what he does normally (laughs) and now he's doing my job because I'm not doing it. Even if I do that two days out of, you know, the whole seven days, that is a game changer. And when you said, when you said something about the single task, I actually have on my dishwasher, it says there's a little bit of uh, sticky tape writing. It says single task, because what I try and do in that moment is concentrate purely on unstacking the dishwasher without 
all these other thoughts flooding my head. So it's kind of like a, I've, I've kind of used it or tried to use it as a way of like slowing down a shit job, but getting something out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. So you're squeezing productivity out yeah, of the always, dishwasher. I'm always, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is an ADHD trait. I know. I have, so my biggest, my biggest thing that everyone knows is I have a really hard time with not being productive. And this has been my whole issue in life. If I am not productive, I burn out and I don't know what to do. So I would open a, a cupboard of sheets and just redo them because I'm like, well, that's it. If I'm stressed, I clean. I, I really don't stop. So the thing that my therapist has helped me with is understanding how important downtime is because I used to see it as a failure. I used to see it as this negative thing like, oh my God, rest. I don't need to do that. I need to be productive. And in actual fact, what I've realized or what I now understand the way I look at it now is when I'm resting and when I'm reading a book and slowing down, this is actually building me up and giving me energy, the energy I need to be productive. So I kind of have this mentality of a full circle. So if you were, if you did have ADHD, which you know, we don't know, <laughs> if you did, if, if, if you did, the big if, capital if you I, did, F. <laughs> uh, I really see myself pre-medication in everything that you just said right? Like every single sentence. So when I used to do mindfulness and, you know, sitting down and having a cup of tea and trying to give myself space, that's very difficult to do if you have an ADHD so brain, right? So there's a lot of pressure on that to fail at therapy, right? Just there. But if you were to be diagnosed and be properly medicated and you were to take that, what you would find, what I have found is that that physiological need to move goes. That anxiety-driven productivity I need to do stuff because everything will just roll away from me if I don't. The shit will just go crazy. I am not on top of things. I need to keep moving in a direction. I am a shark. If I don't move, I die. That physiological thing that you've got going on there would be massively reduced. And that's when my husband will come to me and go, do you want to have lunch? And I'm not panicking in my brain and unable to connect with him or listen to anything he's got to say. Because I would say to him, I've got heavy metal music in my brain. I can't mm. hear you and your long story about going to Coles. And in my mind, oh. I was like, I don't <laughs> fucking care about it. Look at all the stuff I've got in my brain. But that's not conducive to a relationship or no. to, to being with your kids. So if you were to have ADHD and if you were to try medication, that part there that you're talking about would drastically be different. You know, have, your phone is constantly going off with reminders. reminders I have medication that... reminders. I have a ca- if if I didn't have my phone and my calendars, I wouldn't know what the fuck I'd be doing tomorrow. Yeah, and see that is their just working memory. So some people get confused between. But like I get anxious trauma. about that. Yeah, so like trauma and ADHD sometimes can look a little similar, right? Like in in its representation. So one of the biggest differences would be working memory. So working memory is being able to pick up a phone and remember uh, like the numbers out of it in a, you know, one of those password things, or, you know, Cole sends you the verification code. You can't go between windows. You don't know your seesaw. You can't remember what day it is. And it's that working memory. If you look into that, that can be a real indicator. And the reason why a lot of us have all those reminders is because our working memory is not good. We don't Mm. remember that Tuesday is library day. And so your child is constantly turning up without the library book and that there has to be a conscious buzzer as opposed to it's library day. 
because that there doesn't actually mm. come from. And I imagine then that creates another stress because do you feel like you're constantly about to realise you've missed something? And that's where the anxiety comes from. Yeah. That's where it is. So from a young age, girls start to realise I don't have what I need all the time. And then the teacher asks me and I want to be the good girl. And so they're yeah. in this constant anxiety thing. So when they when they arrive to school, people would not think that my child is late or doesn't have everything she needs. They don't know she's gone through 15 hats. We've got yeah. three in the car and that we've been this constant thing for her to arrive. They don't see that. And this mm. is where that camouflaging comes in early. And mm. the message to little girls is try harder, be better, do better. And then as we're in women, it's like, we don't start to think, well, why, why am I not getting the help that I need? It's like, well, I need to do better. Yeah. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. Try harder, Jane. You're shit at life. That's not the messaging here is the messaging is that, you know, neurologically you, you, your brain works differently and to be a mum and manage all of these tasks, you're like 30, 30% delayed in what you're able to do. Can people really actually, like, I'm going to ask you, Sophie, you know those little apps where it pops up with your net bank code? It's like four or five numbers. Can you remember that and type it back in? Yes. Easily remember it? If I looked at it and consciously remembered it, yeah. So I for me, it. I have, if I look at it right, I will turn over to the app and have anxiety about the fact that I'm not going to remember it and then I don't remember it and it take me three times to enter that Well, code. if you think we had that situation before where I asked for the credit card number and I said the expiry is this, this and this and you said, no, yeah, it's not, it's this, this and this and then you went, oh, no, fuck, I'm looking at the wrong card. It is what you said it was and that's not to show no. up. But, like, I feel like it's... it's yeah quote unquote yeah. normal yeah. to be like you just told me the expiration date and I've remembered the expiration Fully. date that was literally five minutes before we got on this yeah. phone Look, the working- and Jade's like nope I'm now reading you out my personal credit card details ignore that oh my <laughs> freaking Christ yeah the working memories a real deficit for mums so that is definitely something to look at and that is a real indicator because that's just like a very simple thing that most people can do. So I'm glad you brought that up because I can't go between windows. In fact, someone invited me to a work meeting the other day and I had to email them and be like, I can't remember the verification code. You're going to have to book the meeting for me because I was on my phone only. I didn't have a computer. I was like, I actually can't physically remember the code because it was too many. I couldn't do it. I think also with this as being an adult and understanding if you do or don't have this, regardless when these things happen in your life, to lower the pressure of exactly what you did. Like now when things happen, instead of getting overwhelmed, which I always do get overwhelmed and I get anxious, but I kind of just go, who cares? Like I have to drop the ball at some point because I can't be the perfect mum or the good enough mum. And I can't be the, like, I can't be great at all these things because something's going to give. So I have given myself a little bit of compassion in that regard that I'm not, I know that it's okay to stuff up and not do all the lists that I want to do in a day. I agree. If you are not sure what to do next and you're thinking, okay, well, I probably have this, I might have this, I might want to get this checked. There's two pathways. So the first one, this is for adults. The first one is, I suppose, if you're in the group of people who are like, I have a family history of this. I'm pretty sure that I have this. I really would like to try medication. I am so done with feeling like this and I want to try that medication. Don't you love ADHD? They'll be in a hurry. 
oh, give me the medication. They'll be like wanting to get it like in two seconds. The easiest way if you are in that bucket of people is to go online and Google telehealth psychiatrists and find a psychiatrist online who will do a, a diagnosis with you. Be aware that they will not know about camouflaging and prompting. So if it says, do you know where you are next Tuesday and you've got 17 reminders, imagine that you don't have those reminders. Yeah, if you're okay. not sure, mm. Google camouflaging because it's not up to the psychiatrist or they won't feel it's up to them to unpack them with you. It'll be a very simple, straightforward answer. So mm. make sure you get prepared. I do have a couple of episodes on that. Mm. If you're in that bucket, go for it. The wait period is only about two weeks. If you are in the other bucket, which I would say is a bit more like you, Jade, not to make assumptions, That's all good. Where, where you're like, okay, I actually feel like maybe this is a possibility. Maybe it isn't. I want to understand myself more. I am sick of feeling this way and I want to know who I am. That Those group of people are probably better off, in my opinion, going to a clinical psychologist, a neuroaffirming one who understands female ADHD and ASD, and they can unpack it for you. They'll write out a whole report and they'll explain to you step by step all of your childhood, your teenage years. It's, it's really mind-blowing to see it. But be aware at the end of that, if you do have ADHD and they can diagnose you with ADHD clinical sites, they can't medicate. So then you have to go back to a psychiatrist for that. So just be aware and always get on, I like Facebook to have a look at, you know, ADHD support groups and maybe just like Google, like search the person's name, make sure that they are someone that understands females because it is different. Mm. So I suppose for anyone listening, I would just really check out those two pathways if you're unsure what to do next. And if they had a child? If they have a child. It's similar. So if you are somebody that wants to really understand your child, you want to, you know, you have that really a neuroaffirming diagnosis, the clinical psychs, I personally have taken my kids to that and they go through in a very beautiful, like my, my daughter and my sons did animal assisted therapy and they just did assessments on them whilst they played with farm animals, which wow. for me, I was really happy with. And we were able to get on the NDIS, which is a whole nother can of worms through that process. Clinical psychs I find to be very good. You can also, on the other hand, if you are really wanting to medicate and that's that's where you want to go, is you can go to a pediatrician or you can go to a child psychiatrist. Be aware that pathway is a little less neuro-friendly. A lot of those people don't always have that really up-to-date female representation. Often they won't look at the clinical psychologist report so I went into a pediatrician. They just were like, well, don't send me your clinical psych report. I don't want to see it. I'll make my own diagnosis. And it is a bit of a restart to get medication. So that there can be, and it's also expensive. So children can be a little bit more difficult. However, like just to find the right pathways for them, I do recommend if you have the funds, the clinical psych first, but be aware it's about two and a half grand to get one of those assessments. They're wow. always in person. The wait time can be over a year. The pediatrician. Oh, how frustrating. The pediatricians can be even longer. So if you go down the clinical psych route, you get to the end of it, it's ADHD and your child's escalated, you want to medicate, get ready to restart on the other pathway. So that can be really difficult to navigate. Feel free. I always answer all of the DMs. If you do have more questions, I'm always happy to help because I'm so passionate about particularly our girls getting the right 
the right diagnosis. One of my fears is that if you went to a standard pediatrician who might not have had any professional development in the last few years around female ADHD, for example, you might be told that that's not true. You've paid a thousand dollars for that. And then that your child might go along another five years and you think that's being ruled out. So if you are waiting all that time, make sure you're really doing your research on who you go to. And my last question, is there anything you could do that is more, I guess, natural? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we do. I've been doing with my kids. My husband and I have always run health and rehab kind of um, and mental health businesses. So that's that's really where we're at. My husband was and is partially still against medication. But then if I don't take my medication, he usually says, no, you should take it because then he gets terrified of it. <laughs> <laughs> so he says he is and he is. But, um, You're the exception, yeah, Jane. The exception. <laughs> <laughs> so you can all absolutely do things first. There, if you can go, you can go and see a great OT. And they can give you great, like, you know, for example, visual aids, you know, visual calendars. So you know what you're doing. They can help you set it up. You can also do ADHD coaching. That's also really good. They help you with executive function, working memory. Always, it's always the stuff that we don't want to do that we know we should. So lots of exercise, great diet, sleep hygiene, less social media, all of that, looking after ourselves. You can also do some great supplements. I've been going to see an integrative doctor. And then that's also things that you can start with. Medication isn't the answer for everybody. Some people can't take it. And, you know, I'm hoping to descale my life at some point. I don't see myself taking medication forever, but at this point with everything that we've got going on, it is a must, but I'm hoping to simplify my life and get it to a point where I don't have so much going on that I need yeah, to be medicated. Fully. So I suppose that's that's the dream. And you when know, you that, retire, that <laughs> when you're well, eighty, <laughs> when I'm on my deathbed, maybe I won't. Yeah, when it. you're in your deathbed, <laughs> then you'll stop. Then I'll stop. But yeah, I think there's the the lifestyle <laughs> changes are really important. But it's just that stuff that no one wants to do, but everyone knows that we should. Love it. Love this conversation. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for coming in and chatting with us today. This has been just extraordinary. I mean, it's I found it so interesting, even though I'm not someone who feels like this is, you know, directly related to me, but even to have the compassion for other people in your life that are going through this or, yeah, I just think this is just a conversation that needs to be had and continued to be had. Absolutely. And I think I'm so grateful for you guys to having me on because if you're someone that doesn't have ADHD and your kids don't have ADHD, I would love to, I suppose, create a more inclusive world anyway. There's always that kid that doesn't get invited to the birthday parties. And, you know, when you're the parent of that kid, it feels like shit. And, you know, I always say to my kids, we're just going to invite everybody or no one because there's always those kids that aren't included because sometimes socially they're not that great. And if we can be more inclusive and understand its impulsivity, you know, there's a driver behind it. It's not that they are trying to be naughty or disruptive or come across too much. That's just how their brain works. And, you know, I've really changed my thought pattern on some of the kids that I, you know, in the past before becoming becoming mother was like, my kid will never be like that. I've got those kids now. So if we can create a more inclusive world, that would be awesome. I might do that, take that on board with sleepovers and just say, sorry, we can't include everyone. So we're just going to have to exclude everyone (laughs) and not do it at all. Exactly. I love that. Weird. You don't want the whole class for a sleepover? Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.